Good morning. Welcome to Chapel Street Church, our Kesslinger campus for worship today. We are going to begin a little bit differently this morning because it's a different kind of day uh, for all of us. And that's because most, if not all of you, uh, received an email this past week that informed you that Pastor Jeff has been placed on an indefinite leave of absence from his role as lead pastor. Now, if you're visiting us uh, today or this is or you're newer to Chapel Street, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're sorry that this is what you're going to hear as you begin with us, but we think you'll learn a lot about this as a church family. The email you received included information about why this uh, decision became necessary, and I'm not going to review that information this morning. You can go back and read it carefully or um, watch the videos if you haven't already. Uh, they're available on our website, at least for a little while longer. Uh, I'm sure this is, has been surprising uh, and difficult news for all of you. It has been for me and all of us in leadership as well. And there are lots of things to think and feel. You may be feeling some grief and sadness. You may feel some hurt or anger. You may feel confusion or compassion. You may feel like leadership uh, has shared too much. You may feel like leadership hasn't shared enough. Or you may not know what to think or even what to feel. All of those emotions and responses are absolutely understandable. And those of us who've been involved more closely have certainly felt our share of all of those things. So where do we go from here? Our executive council will direct Pastor Jeff uh, in a process aimed at personal and spiritual healing. And Jeff is fully submitted to that process. And while we don't know exactly how long that might be, we do hope and pray for a redemptive outcome and a restoration to ministry. The executive council has asked me to serve as interim lead pastor, which I will do as long as they ask me to do so. That means that while I remain as the campus pastor at our South Street campus, I'll also be here with you at Kessinger a lot more often than I have been in recent years, both in person and uh, sometimes on video. Our executive team and our pastors and staff will continue to provide leadership and ministry programming as always. And our prayer is that all of us uh, will continue to be the Chapel Street family. And we're a big family. Some 5,200 people uh, joined us for worship on Christmas Eve across two days, four campuses, and 14 services. And together, we are all the church, and we will continue to be the church. So, yes, this is a, a difficult, confusing, and unforeseen time. But I believe, and we believe, it's not only a painful time, which it is, it's a moment of opportunity for all of us as church family. It's, an, it's a time when we can experience and demonstrate what grace and truth look like in real life. And many of you have already asked, even this morning, what can we do? What can I do? Let me just suggest four things right now. First, you can pray, and that's obvious. Pray for Jeff and Aaron and their family. Pray for our leadership. Pray for our church family. Pray for each other. Secondly, trust. Trust our leadership. We know you'll have many questions. I ask you to trust uh, that our leadership in time and in the right way will answer those questions. In the meantime, our pastoral team and our executive council leadership are available to you as congregation. Uh, several of our executive council members are here this morning and will be out at the welcome table afterward. If you'd like to speak to them, they'll be there. The third word I want to ask you to do is to believe. That is, believe that God can and will, in his way, in his time, transform even this into a beautiful story of redemption 
for Jeff and for Chapel Street. And finally, just be. Be the church that we've always been called to be. Let's be a church that demonstrates the kind of love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. A love that rejoices in truth. But also a love that always hopes. Always perseveres. A love that never fails. Would you bow with me before we begin worship and prayer? Lord Jesus, we're gathered here today as a church family, as your people, to worship you. But you know our hearts, and you know our hearts are heavy today. Heavy with sadness or maybe confusion. We just hurt. Some of us, maybe many of us, don't feel much like worshiping at all. So I ask you by your spirit, who is in us and among us, meet us here today right where we are. Remind us of your great love for each one of us. Remind us of your love for your church. Remind us of the power of your love to comfort, to strengthen, to heal, and encourage. Remind us that it's today of all days when we most need to be together and to worship together. Thank you for meeting us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. We believe here at Chapel Street that God has created us for relationships. That's why we encourage you to join a small group and help make a, a big church feel like a small, close-knit community. So we're excited to share with you two opportunities to connect to God and to connect to others. The first opportunity is to join our Rooted program. We launched the first Rooted session almost five years ago, and since then, hundreds of Chapel Streeters have built friendships, discovered more about their purpose, and found community in a time where it seems to be more and more difficult to find. We've seen dozens of people choose to be baptized, find places to serve, break areas of strongholds in their lives, and share their faith story in many cases for the very first time. That's why I'm so excited to invite you to our next session of Rooted, which is launching Sunday, January 14th. It's a new year and a great time to find a group of people to go through life with and to discover more of how God has created you and what he's made you for. Rooted groups are small groups of people that meet each week for 10 weeks to do just that to explore who God is, who we are in Him, and to answer the question, how do I live as a follower of Jesus in the world today? And so today, if you're looking to get connected here at our church or simply wanting to take that next step in your faith, I'd love for you to join us this Rooted Session. And the next opportunity is something that we've been piloting here at the Mill Creek campus for the last two years. And now we're extending the invitation churchwide. The Alpha Course is a safe place to explore the big questions that we all ask. And guests from any background can unpack the basics of the Christian faith. Do you have a friend or a neighbor or a coworker, maybe a family member that you've been praying for? And maybe you find yourself asking questions about what do Christians believe and what do I believe and why do I believe it? The Alpha Course covers the essential elements of the Christian faith in a way that's easy to understand for people who, who might be hearing the gospel for the first time or those asking life's critical questions. After each week's video, we'll have a time where guests can feel comfortable to dialogue about life and faith and God in a space that is judgment-free. Our first church-wide session will begin on January 27th, so bring your questions and find out that you're not alone. So, whatever question you're asking, whether it's what do I believe and why, or how do I live as a follower of Jesus? 
We believe that this is a perfect time to start a new rhythm, to grow in your relationship with God, and connect with the people around you. Well, let me address the question you're all asking. Joe and I did not plan to wear flannel at the same time when we filmed that video, but we are excited to, uh, to tell you more about Alpha and Rooted. In fact, this time of year, um, for many of us, it's a season where we are building into our lives new rhythms. As we come out of, of Christmas as we, that we celebrated all together in the Advent season, Pastor Brian mentioned this earlier, across all uh, four campuses, 14 services, over uh, 5,200 people joined us to worship the one who is the fullness of the glory of God in human flesh. In addition to that, and you'll remember that throughout December, we had a goal to raise for Serve the World um, $300,000. And uh, not only was that goal met, it was surpassed. The church gave um, $320,000 towards Serve the World, which we can, yeah, celebrate that. And thank God uh, for his provision. The generosity of the church, if you don't know, those are funds that go outside of our doors to ministry partners, both globally and in our own community. And we're looking forward to sharing those stories of impact with you. And the two programs that we just highlighted in the video, Rooted and Alpha, these are just some of the ways that we remain committed to the call and the vision that Jesus has given us as his followers. Discipleship as we continue together to become and grow more like Jesus, and evangelism as we seek to offer a space where people can bring their honest questions and hear the good news of grace and forgiveness, new life that is available in Christ. These priorities continue to reflect the call that Jesus has left us with as his church, and they will remain our focus now and going forward. If you're interested in being a part of either a rooted group or a part of Alpha uh, that'll be launching later in the month, we'd love to share more with you. We'd love to have you join us. And there's information and a registration available on our website. Today, we are beginning a new series focused on prayer. And so before we jump in uh, to God's word this morning, would you, would you join me in praying together? Gracious Father, we do just thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your body. We thank you that you are a relational God that we can have conversation with, that we can come to in our moments of hope, in our moments of pain, in our moments of joy. Lord, that you will meet us there. Lord, we pray that as we open up your word, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would speak and that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive from you. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, uh, this morning we are beginning a new series entitled Praying with Paul, where we're going to explore together over the course of, of January these very specific, very uh, pastoral, and, and I think you'll see very heartfelt prayers that Paul offers on behalf of the followers of Jesus in these various churches that he, that he was a part of launching as a result of his missionary journeys. He's invested in these people. He's invested in, in their faith. And I think that you're going to see that come through in how he prays for them. 
As I was personally reading through these prayers and and kind of preparation for this series, there was two things that sort of immediately jumped out at me. The first is the way in which I found it just instructive. And by that, I I mean when I read these prayers of Paul, I recognize that, that the way Paul prays, the way it sounds, it sounds uh, different than my own. And I don't mean that to suggest that I'm not praying in the right way, that my prayers are, are somehow less authentic or genuine. It's, it's not that at all. Uh, in fact, one of the things I think that sometimes people assume about pastors is that we are like um, professional prayers, right? Uh, every time I... I especially when I was like new as a pastor, every time I went home for any kind of like family event, any meal, anything like that, my grandpa was like, well, we've got a pastor in the family. Let's let him handle this. And then he would immediately follow it up with this story about when he was young and and he was at this gathering and a pastor began to pray and somewhere in the scope of it, he kind of got long-winded or that sort of thing. And that pastor's like three-year-old daughter in the middle of the prayer just went, amen, daddy, amen. Like, he, he loved to tell me that like every time. So it's like, keep it short. Like, it was like his, his advice to me. But I, I'll tell you, I, I, I experience all that in the sense of like, there's times when, when if you're here this morning and you even hear us talking about a series on prayer and you're thinking like, ugh, like I'm, I'm gonna... This is gonna make me feel guilty. I I struggle with this. I don't find it to be something that intuitive for me. Like, I get that. I've been there. If you're here and you're like, it's about time. Like, for some people, prayer is just, it's their passion. And they're so excited that we're talking about it and encouraging. And I I get that too. I get all of it. And when I look at Paul's prayers, I see in them a desire of priorities that are oftentimes reflective of something that I would just kind of call greater than what I'm, I feel like makes up the content of, of my prayers. And I, I, I hope, I think you'll hear that as well. And again, I, I didn't receive this negatively at all. And in fact, I, I, it's not that I'm not doing it right. What I heard it as, how I perceived it, was kind of an invitation into these priorities that, that Paul uh, reflects in his prayers. And so in that name of the series, that maybe as a part of this, we will learn to pray with Paul for these things. The second thing that jumped out at me is that I found it inspiring and encouraging. As I read through these, these prayers, I, I began to receive them as the one who is being prayed for. I don't know if you've ever experienced a moment or a situation where you felt like bolstered, uh, confident, because you knew somebody was praying for you. In fact, I, I think I've experienced that somewhat conversely too. Like when both of my grandparents, my grandmothers, both of them passed away, um, I felt sort of this, almost as like vulnerability, because I knew those two people prayed for me every single day. I felt the same thing. If you knew Pastor Roger here uh, from Chapel Street, I felt the same thing when he passed away because I knew they were going before our God on my behalf. And so Paul's praying for the church and I am a part of that. I'm downstream of this prayers and I I think it's appropriate to hear the, the prayers that Paul offers, his heart, his desire for us and to receive it. 
And so I hope in this series, I hope that you feel prayed for in these words. That that we would receive what Paul brings to God, what he asks of him on our behalf, and that we would open uh, ourselves up to Paul's desire for the church, what he's seeking God for. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Ephesians chapter one. This is the first prayer that we're gonna look at together. And, And we'll talk a bit about the heart of Paul's prayer here. So this is Ephesians 1 picking it up in verse 15. And as I read this, I want you, I want you to receive it as a prayer uh, for you. Paul writes this. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may ho- know the hope to which, you, which he has called you, the glorious riches, uh, glorious inheritance of his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So let's just take a few moments here to... to Consider Paul's heart for the church in this. And and beginning with this prayer that Paul offers, it's a prayer of knowledge, a prayer of knowledge. Notice the way Paul begins here. He starts his prayer with saying, for this reason. In fact, Paul begins a number of his prayers in the New Testament in the exact same way. He grounds what he is praying for and what he just previously stated to be true about the church, about the the Jesus followers, people of God, right? And what is true also about who God is. In fact, we won't do this this morning, but I wanna encourage you this week, take a few minutes to go back and read the first half of chapter one. Because I I think it leans into what Paul is, is praying here. But here's just some of what he says there. In verse four, He says this about you. He says, he chose you in him before creation to be holy and blameless. In verse five, he talks about you being predestined for adoption into sonship. In verse six, we have uh, in him, we have redemption, forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In verse 13, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So Paul says, for this reason, because of this, because of what God has done, because of what only God can do. He says, I just can't stop thinking him. I look at what's happened in Ephesus. I see the transformation. I see how God has spoken hope and new life. And I'm watching it unfold. And he just is overwhelmed with gratitude towards God. And again, I did, I, that one point alone I found so instructive in my own prayer life. 
to recognize, to acknowledge what God is doing, to see him at work among his people and to thank him for it. And then Paul begins to go into what he desires, what he's praying for, for the church. Look at verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He, he prays, as he launches into this, he, his heart for the church is that we would know him better. In fact, as I was thinking about kind of how to articulate this, I hesitated to, to refer to this as a prayer of knowledge because oftentimes that word knowledge for us feels so intellectual. It's academic in some ways. But Paul specifically chooses a word here that has the connotation of, of relational knowledge. Just in December, my, my three daughters were all in finals. I have two kids in college. One just graduated and then uh, a daughter that's in high school. And I was helping my high school daughter like prep for her chemistry final, doing flashcards. Like I, I basically know everything about chemistry right now. And you could almost see, right, the way in which you're packing in this information. And then you go in and you take the test. And as you're leaving, it's like I could see it just sort of seep out of her. Like, I don't need to know that anymore, right? Like, like that kind of knowledge versus the kind of knowledge, like my, my wife knows me. She understands me. She knows that I love peanut butter and chocolate ice cream from Batavia Creamery. And so sometimes... When I get home, if it's been a rough week, if I had a long day, if I'm celebrating something, right, I go and I open the freezer. And if it's been like a really celebratory day, there's like two scoops of peanut butter and chocolate ice cream in there because she knows me. Because she knows things that I value, things that I care about. And I, I, apparently I care too much about peanut butter and chocolate ice cream, but I'm just hearing that out loud now. Like, and... And that's the kind of relationship, that's the kind of knowledge that Paul's praying for. It's not about more information that we would have, that we'd answer more questions rightly about God. That has value, don't get me wrong. But his prayer for the church is deeper relationship with him. Because Paul understands that the more that we know of him, the more we desire to know him. Look at what he says here as it relates to how that unfolds in our life. He says that in order for that to happen, he prays that we would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in verse 17. Paul asks that the Holy Spirit would grow us in a deeper relationship with God the Father in the person of Jesus Christ. So do you hear Paul's heart for you? Of all that he could pray for, of, of everything that he could have begun, began to ask God to do in the heart of the church, he begins by praying, Lord, give them more of you. What they need is more of you. I was thinking about this in our context as the church. To pray together, Jesus, give us a spirit of wisdom, of revelation. What we need desperately is we need more of you. We need to know you. I was thinking about this in my, my prayers for my family, for my wife and for my three daughters. Jesus, please give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they might be given more of you. What, what more could I ask for as a father? 
than that for my children, for myself. What I need, what I desperately need more than anything else is to receive more of him, to know him better. David Platt says that that the purpose of prayer is not that we would get something, but that we would know someone. In his commentary on Paul's letter to Ephesians, Tony Merida notes that the beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life is about knowing God. The beginning, John writes, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. The middle, the apostle Paul in Philippians says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And again, the apostle John in in 1 John chapter 3 reflects on the end, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. The beginning, the middle, and the end of the Christian life is about knowing God. So Paul launches into this prayer with this heart of thanksgiving. And then he asks, Lord, help them. Give them more of you. Paul continues on now. And the second second component that we see here is this prayer of hope. It's a prayer of hope. Look at verse 18 now. Paul continues on. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy, in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Just receive that this morning. Many of you right now, right, this time of year, probably like a few weeks ago maybe, you got in the mail from your insurance company this like overly thick packet. And on the front of it, it said statement of benefits. And you threw that away, uh, like everyone does, right? And, and as cumbersome as that might be to read, as cumbersome and, and sort of uh, annoying and we don't really look at it, what that ultimately does for us is it helps inform us about what it means to be in that network. Right, to have to be a part of that group. This is what comes with this. And this is Paul's heart in his prayer as followers of Jesus for the church. He said, I want them to understand, I want them to grasp what D.A. Carson calls these critical truths. This is what he desires for us. He wants us to know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the incomparably great power that is in him. He wants the eyes of our heart to be enlightened to that. Again, like Paul's here driving at, when we hear that word heart, right, oftentimes the, the, that in our culture kind of means the center of our emotions. It's uh, where we feel things. Paul's using that more holistically. That heart for him, it, it refers more to kind of like the core of who you are. It's, it's inclusive of kind of every aspect, your worldview, your, your emotions, your personality, like everything about you He's saying, I want that to be enlightened so that you will understand what he is praying for here. Again, this points to that Paul's desire is not for head knowledge, but rather he's wanting us to perceive, to comprehend the kind of truth that transforms. I'm gonna focus here 
initially on these first two and then come back to that, that third one, the incomparably great power, because Paul expounds a bit more on that. First, he says, the hope to which you were called. Again, Carson talks about this as the goal or the, the outcome of our salvation. It's the hope of a future reality. It's the promise of eternity with Jesus. In other words, Paul prays that we would grasp what is true about us in Christ for the future so that we ultimately will live for Christ in the present. Oftentimes, when Paul's writing to these churches, to these Jesus followers, he's writing in such a way to a community that he knows it is dealing with genuine persecution, sometimes intensely so. In fact, we know that that is the case here in, in Ephesus historically. So when you're writing to that kind of community, when somebody's in that experience, like ultimate outcomes mattered. If they're going to endure, if they're going to continue to walk faithfully with Jesus, then they're going to need to comprehend the hope to which they've been called. They're going to need to keep and understand ultimate and final outcomes that they will be with Jesus. They're going to spend eternity with him. Secondly, Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. That, that phrase is, is an identity phrase. Paul wants to ground them to understand. He's asking God to help them understand who they are in him, which goes back to everything that he wrote at the first half of, of this chapter. In fact, this is a theme that Paul returns to time and time again throughout his letters, wanting the followers of Jesus to understand who they are in him. Just a, a few verses later in Ephesians chapter two, he says it this way. He says that we, for we are created, where we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul says, I need them to understand that they are their very handiwork of God so that they will accomplish that God-given purpose, those created good works. Who you are informs how you live. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says the same thing. He describes this glorious inheritance. And he talks about it as God's righteousness, his perfection being applied to us in Christ. In, in chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is your identity in Christ. This is the riches of his glorious inheritance. And Paul prays that we would grasp it, that we would understand it, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to it first because it's wonderful. Because I'm, what better news could we grasp? And secondly, because he understands that, that we will live out of them. We will live from them. That brings us then to this prayer of, of power, this prayer of power. Look how Paul wraps up here. Back in, in verse 19, as he's praying for these things, he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I mentioned earlier uh, how my grandfather would oftentimes in, invite me to pray at, at family gatherings. And, and part of being uh, in that family growing up is that you were required to learn how to play euchre. Um, it's pretty much, I think, a requirement for most Midwesterns. Um, and, and I would watch the adults play, and then you would get to the age. It was kind of like almost a rite of passage for us. We got to the age when you would get invited into a game and you had to start learning the rules. And if you know the game, you know that there is a singular card that's in the deck that if you have it in your hand, right, there's nothing else that can defeat it. If you have the jack of the trump, of the suit that is trump, like there's no other card that can be played that is gonna overcome that card. That's the right bower. When I was a kid, the problem for me is like anytime it was in my hand, my face just exposed it immediately. I'd be like, you know, like this. this Paul is writing this into this backdrop in Ephesus uh, of, of a spiritual power struggle. The, the, the social, financial, and the religious framework of the entire city was connected to these these Greek and Roman uh, pagan theologies and gods. There was worship of Artemis. There was emperor worship. And that was just the beginning of it. In fact, people would gather. You could go in Acts 19. People would gather in Ephesus and these debates and arguments would unfold, making their case for who had sort of ultimate authority, ultimate power. And Paul shows up in that. And he starts to tell them about Jesus. People are beginning to respond, and it's, it's so uh, significant within the city. There's an actual riot that unfolds in Ephesus when the silversmiths who craft these idols that are sold in the pagan temples are starting to lose business because of what Paul is, is preaching. So it's into this environment, this context, that Paul talks about this incomparably great power. This incomparably great power for us who believe, and what's interesting about this is that Paul doesn't, in, in chapter one, Paul does not get specific about what this power does in our lives. And in fact, this is a teaser for next week. Come back, because Paul's gonna pray again in, in a couple of chapters here, and he is going to get more specific in this. But what he does point out about this power is, is twofold. Look at this. He says who it's for. This incomparably great power for us who believe, uh, the CSB translates as that towards us. So that the work that God is doing, that he wants to accomplish in our lives, it's backed by his power. That's what's driving it. And secondly, then he elaborates on the force of that power. Look again at, at, at verse 19. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, 
power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but the age to come. You can almost hear, if you're sitting in Ephesus, the significance of what Paul is saying. This power that he wants us to grasp is backed by the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of power of God working towards us and in us to accomplish his purposes, to transform us, to be men and women who are being shaped into the image of Jesus. Paul does not want us to live. He doesn't want us to pray in ignorance of God's incomparably great power. So this is Paul's prayer for the church. This is his prayer for you, that you would know him better, that you would grasp, that you would understand the hope to which you've been called, that your future is secure in Christ, that your identity would be found in the riches of his glorious inheritance, what he says is true about you, who you are, and that your life and that your prayer would ultimately find its conviction, its power in, in the kind of power that, that raised Jesus from the dead. And so as we wrap up this morning, I wanna, I wanna extend a, a challenge, an encouragement to all of you. This week, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer each day for, for someone in your life. You can pray it for us as the church, we covet your prayers. You can pray it for our loved ones and family members and coworkers and, and neighbors and friends and take one of those days when you pray it for yourself. When you pray that, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you ultimately would know him more. You would pray that he would enable you by his Holy Spirit to understand the hope to which you've been called the glorious inheritance that he offers and his incomparably great power. As we conclude this morning, we're gonna come to the table together as the body of Christ. Um, if you're new here with us, uh, I wanna remind you that this is not a Chapel Street thing. This is um, available. Welcome to all who have placed their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your life. Um, in just a few moments, um, I will return. The worship team is, is gonna lead us and I'll guide us in, in the receiving of the elements together. But as we worship together, I wanna invite you to just enter into a time of, of reflection and prepare our hearts as we are reminded once again of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, that we, we have the opportunity um, to know him better. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for Paul's just heart for the church, his driving at what, uh, those greater things that he desires for us. We pray that they would continue to be true in us, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better and to live out of that. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. invite you to take the bread and as Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room he took bread 
and he broke it and he said, this bread is my body that I'll give for you. As you take this bread, be reminded of the sacrifice of our Savior given for you. This is the body of Christ. Take and receive. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood. It's the blood of a new covenant that's been shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Taken a drink in remembrance of him. Amen. Would you stand with me to receive this morning's benediction? Before I offer that, uh, just one more invitation I want to extend to you all. Throughout the uh, month of January, uh, our campuses are going to have a time of prayer available throughout the week. And here at the Kesslinger campus on Thursdays uh, from noon to one during the lunchtime hour, this room will be available for people to just gather and pray together every Thursday all throughout January. And if you're available at that time, we want you to know, uh, we'd love to have you join us uh, for that purpose. Uh, If we can pray with you this morning, our prayer team is available. They're in the glass room. If you came prepared to give, our our, uh, generosity boxes are there by the doors as you leave. Now receive this morning's benediction. Go in the name of Jesus Christ, whose glorious inheritance is available to us because we are in him. May we know you better, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.